tells us here, Abraham, uh, he tells Isaac rather, that go, don't go down to Egypt, but he said, stay in the land which your father has dwelt. Stay in the land where your father has already conquered the enemy. And he says, and I'm going to give you what I promised your father I was going to do. Here we see the changing of the guards. Here we see that Abraham is later in this chapter is going to die. Isaac was now going to be head of the family and his wife, his children, his flocks, his herds were all dependent upon him. No longer could Isaac look to his father for guidance or direction, but now every heart, every eye was focused upon Isaac and now he was the one that would be leading his people. Now he would be the one that everyone was dependent upon. In verse 1, it tells us here that in this land, there is a devastating drought that is going on. And it would have been very enticing to go to Egypt. Egypt is in Scripture, always represents a type of the world, right? It speaks to us of leaving the place of promise and going to Egypt is always a type of the world. And so there is a fresh water there. There is a fertile land there. There, It would be easy there. The family would be better off there uh, for a season. But we know that, they, that the ways of the world are good for a season, but the end thereof, right, is eternal destruction. So God was teaching Isaac not to depend upon the world system. He was teaching him not to depend upon his supply of the world or his security of the world. But he was teaching him, it is better for you, Isaac, to stay in this place that your father has conquered than it is in the time of drought and famine, than it is for you to go into a land of the world and try to be able to sustain your, you and your family on the world system. And I believe today that we're understanding that maybe perhaps more than any generation in a long time. That our, the ways of the world will not be able to sustain us. Our systems are broke. Our morals, the, the morality of America has died and fallen in the street. And we see that, that what, what, whenever a man can take uh, three women hostage for, what, ten years? And then go in and say, I'm innocent? Amen. When we're seeing all of this immorality that is rising up, and we all, you know, I don't have, you know, time to get in on it because it's a lot. But, you know, we see even today that our court, our Supreme Court, amen, there is no Supreme Court. God is judge, rule, and jury. Amen. And so he is the one. And so we can pass all the laws we want. The Supreme Court can do what they desire to do. But I'm telling you that God will judge. Amen. God will judge. And so I know that there will come a day when, the, you know, there will be consequences to you preaching against homosexuality. And there will be consequences against you preaching about sin. 
but uh, God hasn't raised us up to be a fluff church. He has raised us up to preach the gospel, to speak it clear and plain, amen, and let the chips fall where they will, but God will uh, vindicate. He will watch over his word and he will bring it to pass, amen. And so that's the reality of it. And, and, and he is telling Isaac here, you're, you're in a drought, you're in a famine, and if America has ever been in a spiritual drought and a famine, it is in the day in which we live. Amen. And it is easy for us to get caught up on the world system and the world's way of doing things. And we've got more uh, trust in money today than we do God. Amen. You don't believe it. That's the reason why people can't give. That's the reason why people don't tithe. That's the reason they'll, they'll die for a dollar, but you can't get them out to church. I'm preaching better than you're letting on tonight. Amen. But you see, we, we love that dollar. We, we, we think the dollar is the answer to everything. But I want to tell you tonight that we have to understand that we may be in a drought and we may be in the midst of spiritual famine, but the ways of God, amen, are still good. Amen. The ways of man seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is eternal destruction. So we've God was teaching Isaac not to depend upon the world system. Don't get your security in the things of what the world can do. And he made the decision to stay. Amalek king uh, at that time comes and tells him, he said, you're stronger than we are and we want you to get out of here. Amen. We want you to leave. It is then that he goes to uh, Gera and stays there. And this is the same place that Abraham had lived and faced many trials. He had faced and also received many victories. And with God's help, Isaac was going to experience the same victories in this same place. When Abraham lived there, Amalek didn't, uh, didn't, uh, him wrong on many occasions. There was uh, things that Abraham learned, had to learn there, the power of forgiveness. Amen. Because Amalek had wronged him severely, but it was there that Abraham learned how to forgive him. There's a lot of people today who are weak. They're ineffective in the kingdom of God because they have not learned the power of forgiveness. You see, I believe that a lot of folks would experience incredible freedom and they would experience the miraculous and they would see the power of God moving in their life if they would just learn the power of forgiveness. Amen. Well, they don't deserve it. Neither did we. Amen. They, they don't deserve me to forgive them. They are the ones that wrong me. But you see, there is power in releasing somebody that doesn't deserve it. There is power in saying, I give them to you, God. I, I free myself from this situation. And when we do, we, we set ourselves free that we can receive the blessing and the favor of God in our lives. Amen. In Genesis 21 and verse 10, he breaks the ties. Isaac, or excuse me, Abraham breaks the ties with Hagar. We see there that Ishmael uh, is also, you know, Hagar and Ishmael are there. In verse 10, he, he takes them some water, he takes them some bread, and he says, you're going to have to go. 
and sends them into the wilderness. And now, after he releases himself uh, from what he was able to do, because everyone knows that Ishmael was what Abraham was able to produce, right? But now Isaac is what God was able to produce through Abraham. And once uh, I, Abraham was willing to give up what he was able to produce, it was then that God asked him for his son Isaac. God didn't ask him for Ishmael. Amen. That's what he was able to produce. He asked him for his son of promise. He asked him for that which was dear to him. How many know sometimes we're, we're quick to give God what we don't want anyways? Amen. It's easy to give up some things that we really don't want or isn't really dear and near to our heart. But whenever God asks us for Isaac, when God asks us for that thing in our life that is dear to our heart, that thing that we feel as though we cannot do without, that, that, situ that thing or that person or that uh, thing that is in our life that we think we cannot make it without this in our life, and God says, I want you to give me that. That's what I want. I don't want Ishmael. I don't want what you can produce. I want your promise. I want that that is dear to you. And sometimes God will ask us to give the thing that is dearest to our heart. It was that, that one act of obedience that caused God to reveal himself as the provider. That one act, had Abraham not been willing to give up Isaac, he would have never known that God could have provided a lamb. Amen. And as we talked a few weeks ago, that lamb was everything, that lamb was everything that we need, right? In that lamb is salvation. In that lamb is healing. In that lamb is provision. In that lamb is deliverance. In that lamb is our hope. He said uh, that I am your provider, right? And so that is the only place that he speaks and tells us that he is the provider for us because he provided a lamb that had everything that we need. Had he held his Isaac, he would have never received the provision that God had for him. And can I tell you tonight, it was because of that one simple act of obedience, even though it wasn't so simple, that he was willing to give it to God. Amen. I was studying today and I, I, I thought this thought, how often I think about that and how often I think about, you know, Abraham taking Isaac and how would it be that, that he would have the faith that if he would take him up that mountain because the scripture said uh, of him that he told him, he said, me and the lad shall return, right? Amen. So he, his faith somehow, even though he took him up that mountain to lay him on an altar and sacrifice him, faith was in his heart that we are coming back. But whenever I begin to think about it, that this wasn't the first time that Abraham had faith because, you see, Abraham knew that he was dead. 
Amen. He was past the age of bearing children. And so he himself was dead and God resurrected him. So he had faith to believe that if God resurrected me, then he can resurrect my son and he can cause him to live again. Hallelujah. You see, faith goes faith by faith. It goes by glory by glory. It goes line upon line and precept upon precept. And so as we build in the kingdom of God, they connect together and our faith takes us where we need to be in the kingdom. Isaac did what his father Abraham did and he got what his father had. Amen. But this is what I want you to also see in Genesis 26 and verse 17. He said, Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerah and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which he had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerah quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well. How you say that? Iski. E-S-E-K. Yeah. Because it means this. It means they quarreled with him. It means to quarrel. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over it also and they called it Sitna. When we look here, we see that Isaac goes back to the same place that his father had dug wells previously. He didn't go and say, well, that was good for then, but now I need another well over here. He went and he dug the well in the same place that his father had dug previously. Because he had an understanding if there is water there before. Certainly, there's still water there now. It just needs to be redug. It just needs to be cleaned out. Because, you see, the enemy, the Philistines, had come and stopped up the wells. They had plugged up the wells where there once was a flow, where there once was a source of life. We see that they found those wells and plugged them up. Why in the world would anyone in a, in, a, in a desert place plug up a well? Why would anyone, whenever there is life sustaining water in a dry, barren desert, plug up a well? I tell you why. Because the enemy had found this place and he wanted to kill a man, everyone that they could. They were not concerned about life. They were concerned about death. They were concerned about killing. And so verse 19, it said they dug, they, and when they dug, they found a spring of water. And it, that word there literally means a living or a living, living water, alive or living water. 
God has provided life-giving water for Isaac's family. Amen. He has provided him and his family and his herds and his herdsmen. He has provided life-giving water to him. And so, so sooner, no sooner than they got the life-giving water, strife comes. The enemy came. And they named the place, which means strife and contention. That's what that word means. E-S-E-K. It means strife and contention. And so what he was saying is this is the, when Abraham was there, there was strife and there was contention, even though there was living water there. Even there, though, that there was a source that could sustain them, there was strife and contention because his father Abraham is the one that named the place, right? And so now in another generation comes along, redigs the well, and even though there is source of life giving water there, there is still strife and contention. Amen. Now your enemy wants you to live in strife and contention because he knows what strife and contention will do. It will stop the flow of God in your life. Amen. Where there is strife, where there is division, where there is contention, the enemy will succeed. It matters not that there is life-giving water there. If he can get you fighting with one another, if he can get us nitpicking, come on somebody, if he can get contention in the house, there might be a well of life-giving water, but if they're quarreling and fighting at the well, it's going to plug up the flow from coming. Amen. And so the enemy knows that even though that they're in a dry place, even though they're in a wilderness and they have found this well of life-giving water, if I can get them quarreling and fighting with one another, we can get this well of life-giving water to stop up, praise God. Now that's the reason Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. Whenever the enemy gets us in contention and strife, even though the power of the Holy Spirit is able to bring life-giving substance to our life, if we're calling and fighting, it will shut up the flow of God. James 3 and 16 said, where there's envy and strife is, there is confusion. Where there's envy and strife, there's confusion. It does you no good to be in a good place if you're confused. Amen? You can be sitting in, in a, a oasis of, of life and food on every hand, but if you don't have the mind, if you're confused, then you don't know the difference between bread and a tree you'll die. Amen? And so the enemy wants to bring confusion. And where strife is, it will produce confusion. That's the reason we see so much strife in the world today. Even in the church, it's because the enemy knows that he cannot stop the flow. Did you hear me? The enemy cannot stop the flow. So he has to get us in, in strife, amen, and so that we can, he can bring confusion and in the strife becomes confusion and there the flow of God will be stopped up in our life, amen. He goes on and he redigs re another well. 
sitneth means hostile or hatred. Here is another life-giving source, but yet Abraham called it not, not just strife and not just confusion, but he said it's hostile there. It's, there's hatred there at that well. And this is always the end result of strife and confusion when gone unchecked. What starts in confusion, if you don't deal with it, leads to strife. Amen. And whenever it is not put in check, it will produce a well of hostility and hatred in your life. Amen. Let me say that again. Where there is confusion, if it's not checked, if it's not dealt with, it will cause strife. Amen. I use Brother Bo because he knows I love him, right? If, if me and Brother Bo have conversation and I'm confused about what he's telling me, and I go away and begin to think about that, and I decide and conjure up in my mind he's mad at me. Huh? Are you walking with me? So I'm confused about that. Even though he was trying to speak, you know, good things in my life, my thought was as he was, you know, being cynical or he was just doing this or that and, and he's mad at me. So now I'm confused. So now I have strife in my heart. So instead of me shaking his hand every Sunday, I see him and I avoid him. I know how it works. Amen. So I avoid him. And, and so now, after a while, not only am I confused and not only is strife, but this well keeps springing up until now I'm bitter. And bitter, unchecked, become, causes me to get hostile. Amen? To where I start hating him. And it isn't nothing even true to it. I've just been confused about the conversation. This is always the end result of confusion and strife going unchecked. We become hostile toward one another, which produces bitterness and hatred. And what started in confusion, if not dealt with, will lead to strife, which will produce this hostility and this hatred. And 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20 tells us, if we hate our brother, then we are a murderer. If you harden your heart and you have, uh, you have hatred toward your brother, toward your sister, God has no choice but to see you as a murderer. Because even though we haven't killed anyone, we have killed them in our heart. When the prodigal son left the house, he was saying to his father, by being unruly, I wish you were dead. For that which was coming to him at his father's death, he wants now. And so in his heart, what he was saying is, I hate you, I'm hostile towards you, and I want what you've got, and I wish you were dead. This is the only thing the enemy can use to stop up the flow of God in our life. Amen. He will bring these things into our life 
so that we will become hostile one toward another so that bitterness will reign in our hearts so that we will begin to take on a murderous spirit. Amen? Now this isn't the only one that dealt with this. Abraham dealt with this. He named this place, right? So this isn't a generational, you know, a lot of times, and I tried to to articulate this last week, but a lot of times we talk bad about this generation coming up. But we've produced a lot of it. And we've laid the foundation for a lot of it. And we have bittered the waters and they're just going to the wells that we've dug. Come on. And so we've got to go back and we've got to clean up the wells. Amen. Get the, get the pollution out. Get the mess out so that life-giving water can flow again. And so he goes on now. Watch this in verse 22. He goes in verse uh, 17 and verse 19. He goes to wells that his father had dug. But now watch this in verse 22. And he moved from there and dug another well. Notice this well Abraham didn't dig. He's taking lessons from his father. He redug where his father had dug, but now this generation is taking it a step further. This generation is going, and now Isaac is digging his own well. And he did, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called the name of it uh, Rehoboth. Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us. And we shall be fruitful in the land. Hallelujah. We shall be fruitful in the land. You see, there, there is life-giving source and there is life-giving strength in wells that have been dug in days past. Amen. And yet Isaac, even though he redug the wells, even though he got sustaining strength from them, that's the reason why we can't do away with the wells of yesterday. Because it was what sustained him where he was in the desert. But he realized that I can't stay here because people are quarreling and contention is here. But yet that life-giving water sustained him to get him through the place of quarrel and contention. Amen. It took him to the next place in the desert where that there would be a place there of life-giving water. But yet there was hatred and hostility there. But the life-giving water that came out of that well was able to help Isaac to get through the place where people were hostile and where hatred was abounding. Amen. And brought him now to a place that his father Abraham never experienced. Never knew the power of. Never knew the strength of. I told you in this series that one generation was raised up to make war while another was raised up to have peace. Elijah was raised up to split the water. Elisha was raised up to heal the water. 
David was raised up for war so Solomon could build a temple where the glory of God could fill the house. And a man and Isaac is now coming behind his father Abraham to dig a new well. He was going further than his father had ever gone because of what sustained his father had sustained him but now he's in a new place. He is in a land amen, where there is no quarreling, where there is no war, where there is no fighting. Amen. And in this land, there is room for everyone. Hallelujah. Amen. Can I tell you in the kingdom of God, there's room for everyone. Galatians tells us there's neither male nor female. There's neither Hebrew or Greek. Amen. But we've all been brought nigh through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, there is no black, white, or red. In Jesus, amen, there is male nor female. But we have all been brought in, grafted in through the blood of Jesus, and we are redeemed by the blood. And here, there is room tonight. There is room for the hurting. There is room for the broken. There is room for the downcast. There is room for those who have been wounded and hurt and broken in days past. There is room here in the place of healing and fruitfulness and joy and peace, praise God. And that's where God wants us to be in this generation. He is wanting to raise up a generation that will bring healing to the broken and the downcast and the distraught. This world is a mess. This generation's behind us are full of hostility and bitterness. They are full of all kinds of anger. Have you tried to deal with teenagers lately? Have you tried to deal with even young children? They're rebellious. They don't want to listen to you. They'll tell you to shut up. Amen. It isn't they're bad kids. It's that they've been in the place of hostility. They've drunk from the wells of bitterness. And they have only uh, developing because of the uh, climate that they have and the culture that they have been raised up in. But we've got to bring them out of that wilderness. And we've got to bring them into a place where God has made room for them that they can live in victory, they can live in fruitfulness and know that their life matters, praise God. Now Isaac dug. <laughs> it doesn't say he redug or even redigged in the King James. He learned from his father how to dig. But now he is digging for his generation. Now he is digging for his children, for his sons, for his daughters, for those who will come up. Amen. He says, now there's room for all of us. We got to make room in the kingdom for everyone. That doesn't mean that we compromise the word. That doesn't mean that we say everything is go and everything is all right. It means that we make room for them so they can get in this place of healing. So they can get up over their quarreling and their hostility and their bitterness and they come into a place and where that there is room for them to be healed and come into a place of a fruitful land. This generation has been lied to. 
and they believe it. They've been taught that it's not your fault and there's nothing you can do about it. Once a druggie, always a druggie. Huh? Somebody talk to me. Once you're an alcoholic, you'll die an alcoholic. There's no use of fighting it. It's just the way it is. Your granddaddy was an alcoholic. Your, your daddy was an alcoholic. And it's going to kill you too. Huh? You're bound by this addiction and you're never going to get over it. And now we're raising up a generation. You, the generations past at least fought it off, fought it. But this generation raising up has bought into it lock, stock, and barrel until they believe there is no hope. And so there's no reason to fight it. Just give in to it. But God has to have a voice in the earth. He has to have a kingdom within the world. He has to have a people in the kingdom. Come on. That we'll stand up and declare that we're not just going to stay where we have been. While we celebrate and we thank God for the wells of yesterday that have brought us to this place. There is yet something we have never yet experienced in God. There is a freshness of his breath that will breathe upon us. There is an outpouring that we have yet to experience. But we have to be hungry for it. We have to be willing to dig our own well, glory to God. We've got to be willing to pay the price and say, God, I'll do whatever it takes. You've got to get hungry for it. You've got to get passionate for it. And say, God, whatever it takes for me to get to that well, whatever it takes for me to get to that place of freedom, and know your power and know that I'll be all, do all, and accomplish all that you have said I can do. God, I'm willing to do it. It was in that place of Rehoboth that there was room and there was peace. <laughs> Something Abraham never experienced. But his another generation would come because of his experience. And fulfill what Abraham had never experienced himself. Call me crazy. So pastor, you... you, you done rocked off the porch, you can say whatever you want to say, but I believe there is wells yet to be dug. I believe there's an experience of God that is yet to be tapped into. Why do I believe that so passionately? Because of what I just described to you, that the, the world is so wicked. The world is in such a mess. That we can't have just a little feel-good Jesus. We've got to know the Jesus that John described. That the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Got to understand that there is an anointing that will come upon this generation that previous generations didn't need. So therefore they didn't experience. But now that we're in darkness and gross darkness has covered the earth. 
Amen. If you believe that and you settle for that, then you just say, oh, uh, there's no reason to fight. But the scripture didn't just say that gross darkness covered the earth. He said, arise and shine for the light is come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Glory to God. You see, whenever gross darkness comes, there is a counteraction. Because there, even though he said in these last days, peerless times shall come. Men shall be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He said that they would turn from natural affections. Amen, right? Amen. With the natural use of woman and the natural use of a man. We've seen that today. But he also said that, yes, that's what's going to happen. But look, don't give up there. Dig a well. Because in these last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. On my servants and my handmaids, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. You see, there is a greater power. Because where sin abound, grace does much more abound. How? Hallelujah. You see, all we've got to do is not only redig the well, but dig the wells of this present day because there is a blessing waiting for you and me. Oh, come on and praise him right there. Hallelujah. So all we got to do is dig right where we're at. Stay faithful, the course. Don't get caught up on the world system. Amen. Thank y'all know me well enough to understand what I'm about to say. But don't get caught up on putting all your trust in doctors. Putting all your trust in the banker. Putting all your trust in the employer. But just remember there's some trust in horses. And some have trusted in chariots. But I all remember the name of the Lord. I put my trust in God. He's the one that will sustain us, my brothers and sisters. He is the one that will keep us. And thank God for the forefathers, the generations past that have dug the wells that have brought us to this place. But now it's time to dig our own well. That will bring substance and sustain not only us, but another generation coming behind us. That God tarries will run with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Let's give him praise right there tonight. Hallelujah. All right. That's my introduction for Sunday. All right. Hallelujah. We've got to not only re-dig the wells, but we've got to dig the wells that God has placed for our generation. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand tonight and let's thank God for somebody that was willing to dig a well. Amen. And then just ask him after that, God, help us to dig our own well right where we are for our generation, for those who are coming. Father, we give you praise and we give you thanks tonight for those who have been faithful to dig wells in days past. God, have 
dug them in places where that they that have been hostile places where that there has been uh, confusion where there has been strife but God they've been faithful to dig God I thank you for those who've been faithful to dig where it's even hostile situations but they were willing to hold up the name of Jesus willing to prepare the way for another generation and God we stand in this place tonight and thank you for a generation that when it wasn't easy when they were burning the church down when they were taking them hostage and burning them at the stake they were faithful to give you praise and worship your name I thank you for those saints God because if it had not been for them we would have never got to where we are tonight but I pray for this generation and over our generation that is alive now I pray God that we not grow weary and well doing but God that we build upon the principles we build upon the wells and we dig our own well in this season where there's room for everyone where it's not about us being Jew or Gentile it's not about us being male or female it's not about us being black or white but it's about us being under the banner of victory and under the blood of Jesus Christ and God I thank you and I praise you for this tonight and I ask you father for our own individual houses but this house God is general the tabernacle of praise let us be a life-giving well where there is room for everybody God where there's room for the hurting the broken the bleeding and the dying to come and find rescue and hope in the day of their trouble God we give you praise and give you glory for this tonight in the matchless name of Jesus and we say kingdom of God come and will of God be done over our lives now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would somebody give him praise tonight?